Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. through the Parsha today. Uh, so we'll, we'll be in Exodus 1. We'll start in Exodus 1. And I'll just, I'll just be honest, just because I don't know how any other way to be. See, I'm not smart enough to think one thing and say another thing. You laugh, but there's a lot of preachers. That's how they, that's how they make a living. <laughs> I don't mean to throw shade on anybody, so if you're listening and that offends you, maybe you need to be offended. Maybe you are that preacher. I don't know. But I've, I've worked with them. I've worked for them. I've lived with them. I've served them. But there are a lot of preachers that think one way and say another thing because that's what everybody wants to hear. And I know that tomorrow there's going to be a lot of preachers that are going to get up and they're going to give a big, beautiful, wonderful sermon filled with all kind of proof text scripture about how God is in control and and don't worry and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff but I I've got I'm just gonna be honest with you I'm not okay not okay but not for the reason that you might think see I wish to God that I still believed in a pre-tribulation rapture And that God was going to eventually one day destroy this earth. And so there was really no reason for me to even engage with things here. Hello? I wish to God that I believed that I was just biding my time here. Because one day I was going to get whisked away. And I was going to be free from all the trouble and all the... And I would be... be, walking streets of gold and sitting in front of the throne for eternity and and never would ever have a care else in the world. Are you saying you don't believe in heaven? No, that's not what I'm saying. Are you saying you don't believe the scripture about streets of gold and and sitting in front of the throne? No, that's not what what I'm saying at all. But see, we understand through a a better reading of scripture and asking better questions that we don't leave this place, and that's never been God's intention. It's never been God's intention to save or redeem a people and give them life and give them goodness and give them wisdom and give them his word only to take them out of the very world that he wants to redeem. That doesn't make any sense. I wish I still believed that this world was just going to hell in a handbasket and I was just thankful to God that I'm saved. I really do. Because that makes things so much easier. Then who cares what's happening in 
the Middle East. Doesn't matter. Doesn't affect me. Who cares what's happening in politics or in who cares that abortion is legal or who cares that whatever is whatever? Who, who cares? Because one day God's going to burn this whole place down anyway. Thankfully, we won't be here. By the way, if you have, uh, if you like sitting by a nice fire at night, especially now that it's cooling down, and you have any of the Left Behind series, they make great fire starters. See, when you, when you start to understand that Yeshua taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we understand that there will be a renewed heaven and a renewed earth... And that, that Hashem is coming to set up his kingdom and live with his people here on this good creation that he created. Then we have to start dealing with the implications of what that means. Not only am I not okay, but I also don't have all the answers. Which puts you in a really sticky spot. Who is this guy we are? What are the implications? So, we know that we know that Yeshua comes and reigns. We know that that the Father eventually comes, and we have the marriage supper of the Lamb. The earth is restored. His kingdom will come in fullness. But how does that happen? We know that we don't get a get out of here free card that we are put here to impact this world and to stretch forth the borders of the kingdom we know that we also know something else that we don't believe in what's the big m word magic i'm gonna tell you what there's a lot of incantations happening right now there's a lot of soothsaying disguised as prophecy happening right now. There are a lot of blowhard wannabe ministers that are making a killing off of the sheep right now. We know that when the kingdom finally comes in its fullness, it doesn't just fall from the sky. As I said, I wish, I wish I still believed that I would go to sleep one night and the world would be awful and I would wake up the next morning and... Boom, Jesus is here. Now everybody is zombified into loyalty towards him. And by some magic, mystical sprinkling of fairy dust, he has made everyone now loyal to him as king of kings and lord of lords. Just like that. It doesn't happen that way. And I'm not saying miracles don't happen, and I'm not saying there isn't a spiritual realm. Absolutely there is. We war in the spiritual through prayer and through worship and through fasting and intercession. Again, my point is not so much how the mechanics of Yeshua's coming works. The, the bottom line is when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, his coming all of a sudden becomes political. He's coming to be king. 
you don't come and be king without subjugating, without laying down everyone who would try to come against your authority. You don't just show up and call yourself king. The, the reason I'm not okay is because we have a tension that we have to wrestle with as, as people faithful to the God of creation. For some of us in your background, you never mixed religion and politics. And in some company, you didn't talk about either. Maybe in your church, it was never talked about. Maybe in your church, that was all it was talked about. Or, or it was in, integrated in with your, your sermons. But this book, this book is not about ordinary people. This, read it, don't get mad, read it. This book is not about you and me in the sense that we are part of a bigger nation. This book is about kings and judges and priests. It's about leadership. It's about kingdom leaders. Does that mean that it doesn't speak to us? Of course not. It means, of course it speaks to us. But this book is about government. This book is about government. You can be as anti-government as you want here on the earth. But Yeshua is coming to bring a government. (laughs) What do we think kingdom is? It's government. So we're in this tension as believers between do do we not worry about political stuff because, well, you know, all the scriptures we quote, the government's on his shoulders and all those things, which I believe it is. Do we not worry about government because we're fighting a spiritual battle? Or do we, do we worry so much about government that we forget that there is a king coming that eventually will have all governments under his feet? There's a, there's a tension there that we have to we, the, the body of Messiah as a whole has to start engaging. We're not kings and queens. We're not, we're not judges and rulers. Some of you, God may be calling to that. Maybe not in this room, maybe out there. Some of our kids, God may be calling to political office. And what we need to understand is that's as spiritual a vocational calling as anyone standing up on a stage behind a pulpit. Or anyone that prophesies a word of God with power, or anyone—that's as spiritual. That is that is that is the book. This this tension where whether do we engage or how much? Listen, I I have experienced the pendulum swing in my own life. I've seen it in friends of mine during all of this political stuff that's happening in America. Some people have pulled all the way back. And have not engaged whatsoever. On the other side of the spectrum, some people have seemingly put the Bible on a shelf so that they can become political activists. Where is the line? Where is the. Again, I don't have those answers. 
I do know that we need to think about it more than we have. And we need to do better than we have. Again, this would be so much easier if I could have gotten up here and read you five or ten scriptures in 25 minutes and said, okay, let's go eat. But this is something that we as the body have to wrestle with because we are not loyal to an earthly kingdom. We are loyal to the kingdom of heaven. But what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we hold in, how do we hold in tension this thing that your, loyal, your loyalty is first and foremost and only to the king of the universe? And everybody said amen. Yet you have to submit to your local authorities. How do we, how do we, so instead of really dealing with that over the generations we've done, we've just, we've just pushed it away altogether and just put it all up on a really high shelf that we're not going to ever discuss religion and politics. But in my estimation of what I read in scripture, religion and politics are so tightly intertwined that they cannot be pulled apart. The reason I'm not okay is because we're not, as the body, generally, we're not doing well handling this American political shiftings. We're not handling it well. And again, I don't know what handling well looks like. That's what I'm seeking to find. Because again, some have backed away altogether. Some have gotten so far in over their head that I, I feel like they've forgotten that we have an allegiance to another king and what that means. I don't know where the middle is. But the reason why this is so troubling to me is because I personally, I don't see America anywhere in this book. I've said this before enough, hopefully, that it does, this doesn't really hack you off. But this is not our story. This is Israel's story. This is a story about one family in one geographic place on the earth. Now, because of our Messiah, because of Yeshua, we get to play a part in the story. We, this does become our story because we are grafted in. But America, in my estimation, plays no role in eschatological events. Now, every nation has its, its things. America can influence one way or another, just like China or Saudi Arabia or Australia or I- anyone else. But in the grand scheme of things, Yeshua left as the king of Israel, and he is returning as the king of Israel. Again, no matter how he comes, how he returns, when he gets here, it's going to be a political mess like we've never seen. Our country is being ripped apart by two old white guys. If you're an avid Trump supporter, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. If you're a Biden supporter, I'm going to make you uncomfortable because I don't care. The whole system is corrupt. The whole thing. The whole thing. Because what we've done as men is we've taken, tried to take God's blueprint for government and we've manipulated it 
and we've taken shalom, the kingdom of shalom, and it always turns into empire. We've read it in the story. We've been reading it for the last year and a half. It always starts as shalom, and it always ends as empire. You think there's division now over these two old white farts? You just wait until a dark-skinned Israeli Jew says that he's the king of all creation. You think that you know what has hit the fan in America? We hadn't seen nothing. Again, I wish he would float. I wish, this is, and I'm not being, I'm not being, you know, this is my sincere wish. I went to bed last night praying that this would happen. I wish he would float down from heaven. And I'm not trying to be funny. I wish I would see him float down from heaven and land on the Mount of Olives. And then, put everybody in the earth in a trance where everybody was just loyal all of a sudden. Opened everyone's eyes all of a sudden and we were just, everybody was just, yay, Jesus. I, I sincerely do, I, I still hope, I'm holding out hope that that's the way it's going to happen. Because I don't like this. I don't like this. But there's something called the birth pangs of Messiah. Hevle Mashiach. Hevle Mashiach. We can't expect a king without there being some casualties. We can't expect some, a king without there being divided loyalties. You can't be lo- fully loyal to a king without expecting that some people that you thought your whole life Listen, I have got, and we've all got these, so this is not just me, but I've got teenagers that I ministered to for years. I was with them through surgeries. I was with them through the loss of family members. We celebrated birthdays together. Heather counseled in tears for hours and hours and hours. We, we, we did football and sports and all. We were surrogate parents to a lot of these kids that now because I'm because I'm, I'm not going to put a Black Lives Matter banner on my Facebook page. Now those people believe that I'm a racist bigot. They know me. They know me. So what does empire do? We've talked about it. Empire oppresses. It oppresses. Empire also minimizes. It's not, it's not just enough to win. We have to win and then we have to shut down anyone that opposes us. That's what empire does. We're, we're in the book of Shemot. We're reading about the biggest empire that we've read about yet in Scripture. It minimizes. Empire tells you to, to not confuse the facts with truth. A mostly peaceful protest while the city is an inferno behind you. Oh, but don't. That's not the truth, though. And, I, and this goes on both sides. Because if you really know me, you know it's not about a side. I don't care about sides. 
I'll be honest with you, I look at some of Bernie Sanders' positions and I go like, eh, he's got a point. <gasps> See, I told you I was going to make us Trump folks all nervous. I listen to some of the things President Trump says and I say, why would you even... Is there nothing connecting your brain to your mouth at some times? This is not about a side. This is about righteous judgment. God, the people of God are supposed to be above the fray. We are supposed to be above the mess, the the spaghetti bowl of what is earthly drama. We're not supposed to be above it that we're detached from it. We're supposed to be above it so that we can act in wisdom and so that we can get in there and sort it out and bring order to chaos. When we talked about order and chaos a year ago, we just thought we were in chaos. We had no idea what was coming. And then everybody said, oh, 2021, I can't wait. It's going to be so much better. I don't mean that we are supposed to be this aloof, disconnected thing. I mean, we are supposed to mentally, spiritually, in wisdom, be above all the racket because we are the ones that are supposed to bring order. Where is the church? The church is, uh, we don't, we don't know. Uh, let me find, let me find a half a scripture I can quote, uh, to make everybody feel better. I watched, one of, I watched a pastor last night on the news of one of the biggest denominational churches in North America was being interviewed, and I was thinking, all right, if there's anybody who has an answer for this, it's going to be this guy. He spoke for seven minutes, said absolutely nothing. But he can run a good church. I don't want to judge the man's character because I don't know him. But he run a, runs a good business. But doesn't have any answers. Shemot 1 verse 8. It says a, a new king arose over Egypt. You know why that happened? Because that's what happens. Because <laughs> the old one died. Political leadership is going to change. And we're going to like some, and we're going to not like some. And some are going to do everything that we hold valued, and and we're going to want to get behind them, and some are going to trample on everything that we see as value. But you know what? God's not a Republican. Yeshua wasn't a Republican. Or a Democrat. The Torah is not Republican. The Torah is not conservative. It's also not liberal. People get so hurt whenever they want to study from a rabbi or they want to go to synagogue or they want to engage with with the Jewish people. And, And a rabbi will say like, no. Teach me Torah. Mm. No thanks. Well, they just don't want us to be. They're just whatever. 
No. <laughs> because they know what baggage we bring. And as I've been told multiple times by, by rabbis who we've, we've talked over this thing, rabbis won't do conversions often, not because they don't want you, but rabbis don't like to do conversions on Gentiles because you don't know what you have to give up in order to be Jewish. Because we make the Torah Republican or Democrat or whatever your particular thing is, and it is holy. It stands on its own as a challenge to not only both sides, but to anything in between and outside of. Because God is not systematic. And you can't say, well, this is how God works always and forever. Just if that's what you believe, turn the page and keep reading. And the Bible will push against that. That's why it's the living word. A new king rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. There are going to be people in this new administration that, didn't, that don't know the people of the last administration. Well, what do you mean? I mean exactly what the text says. This king, uh, Joseph saved Egypt and the rest of the surrounding world from extinction from a famine. I don't, doesn't matter how many years this was after that, you don't think he might have heard, might have heard a little tale or two about this Joseph character. But this word to know is to yada, which is, is, is an experiential knowledge. We talked about that in our, our Genesis 1, 2, and 3 parts. It's an experiential knowledge. Do you think that Joe Biden doesn't know the experts, the lifelong experts that Trump had in his cabinet? Of course he does. Is he going to include them in his cabinet? No. Why? Because he has a different agenda. Good, bad, or ugly, it's the way it goes. We talked about gospel. What, is, what did we say gospel summed up as? New king, new kingdom. A new king arose over Israel. New king, new kingdom. Was it Frank Sinatra that sang the song, I Did It My Way? And Elvis, thank you. Every, every king is starting over again. We see this every day. Well, we see it every four years. When I'm elected, I'll solve all the problems that I haven't solved in my last 150 years in Congress. Come on. And we all fall for it. <laughs> Every new leader wants to extinguish the past in order to set a precedence for them as the new 
king. It's just the, it's just the way it goes. So it's not that he didn't know Joseph, didn't know of Joseph. He just wanted a different agenda. He wanted to set Egypt in a different direction. And boy, did he. He immediately goes on the attack of Israel. And he says, they are numerous and more stronger than we. Verse 10, come, let us, uh, let us outsmart it, Israel, so that it doesn't become numerous. And it may be that uh, if a war will occur, it too may join our enemies and wage war against us and go up from the land. This is, this is diplomacy. This is, this is, hey, we've got to stay in debt to China because if it all hits the fan, we want them on our side. That, that's what this is. That's, that's what this is. We've got to send money to Uganda for, or Pakistan for gender studies or whatever that st- stupid, whatever that was. Because if some, we need as many people on our side as we can. That's diplomacy. That's, hey, if these guys keep proliferating like they are, we're going to be in a pickle. Kind of like Planned Parenthood. Oh, if there's, if there's too many black folks... They might rise up and displace our, all of us old white people that have been. So we, let's set up all the Planned Parenthood centers in the predominantly black neighborhoods. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Verse 11, so they appointed taskmasters in order to afflict it with burdens and build cities for Pharaoh, Pitom, and Ramesses. But as much as they would afflict it, so it would increase And so it would spread out. And they became disgusted because of the children of Israel. Where was Israel in the land of Egypt? Goshen. Best part. Fertile delta. No worries. Pasture. Resources. Yeah, fruitful and multiplying. Who left the exodus? A mixed multitude. How do you get from segregated and compartmentalized in Goshen to what some commentaries argue, more Egyptians than Israelites that leave in the Exodus? How does that happen? We're about to read about it. Ready? He said, you got to make bricks without straw and you have to go find your own straw. So we take Israel out of Goshen. They build... Pitom and Ramses. And then could we say they're scattered through the rest of the land searching for straw to make bricks? See, Israel doesn't stay isolated and compartmentalized and away from empire. Because Israel, its patriarchs, we saw it from Avram Avinu, we saw it from uh, Noah before him. We saw it in Adam. What is the point of calling Adam? The point of calling Adam, whether you think he was the first created person or not, I don't care. That's not the point. The point of creating Adam and calling Adam is to set him up as a standard against empire. The the point of anointing Adam and giving Adam a place as a king and priest is to show God's kingdom in opposition to the empires of the earth. A kingdom of freedom and life and prosperity. 
and allegiance to the king, the creator. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. How do you take this people in the land of Goshen and show the alternative to empire? How do you show the kingdom of Shalom? You don't do it in isolation. Listen, I'm all glad for parlor and for whatever the me wees and all. I don't know. I can't keep up with it all. I never had a Twitter because I thought people stay all day keeping up with this. Like, don't people have jobs and stuff? I don't. Anyway, just me. I'm not smart, so I have a one-track mind. That's all I can do is one thing at a time. And I don't do that well most of the time. My wife can tell you. But I'm glad for all that. But that's not our calling. Our calling is not to disconnect. Our calling is not to segregate. Every time Israel set up a a kingdom and segregated and compartmentalized themselves from, from everybody else, what happened? Boom, God spread them. Every time, read it. It'll take you a while because it's the whole Tanakh. Every time God spread them. Because you don't affect the world by being outside of it. Salt doesn't do anything to food if it sits in the container. On, I don't care how close you put it to the skillet. I don't care if you just, if you move the, contain, the box of salt over the food. If none gets out and gets in the heat, it doesn't affect anything. The salt may even get dissolved where you, don't, you can't even tell it's there. It's the residue of it. Are we willing to be stomped out and stamped out that our, maybe our residue might affect this generation, the next generation, maybe generations down from us? So in the affliction, God takes his chosen people, the people of light, and he spreads them throughout the Egyptian empire. What did they do? Oh, like they built relationships. They, they, they had neighbors. They had Egyptian neighbors. Some, many Israelites were, in, were, were servants in the court of Pharaoh. They were cooks and cleaners and, and maids and whatever. So that when God said it's time, not only did Israel come out, but they were like a dragnet. And they took a mixed multitude with them. Not only of Egyptians, but of Canaanites, Perizzites, Jebusites, all them ancient cousins. Hey, you my cousin. Allons, babe, let's go. And they all came out together. Is the, is, the, is the biggest part of the miracle that God delivered a nation? Or is a part we haven't really thought about so much is that in that deliverance, God brought out a multitude of people that would have never known him before. See, it's, it's okay to save your own people from bondage. Because you know them, they know you, it's a good thing, everybody gets it, it's all, it's all clean that way. But to bring out your own people and people who don't even know you because of those people? I think that's something like the restoration of all things. I want to read one more passage out of this. In chapter 2, verse 23. Let's start there. Verse 23, it says, During, during those many days it happened that the king of Egypt died, because that's what kings do. 
And the children of Israel groaned because of the work, and they cried out. Anybody remember that word? Zechah. This is the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the cry. We hear this cry all over Scripture. And what happens every time the people Zechah? God answers. Every time. Every time. They cried out. Their outcry because of the work went up to God. And God heard their mourning. Their moaning, excuse me. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the children of Israel and God knew. Now, I got to make a correction. I think I even wrote it on the board. That zakhar is not the right word. It is zahor. Z-A-C-H-O-R. Hanuk, thank you for the correction. It's good to know some, somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. Um, zahor, to remember. It says that God remembered them. Now, hope we know by now that God wasn't just sitting up in heaven, twiddling his thumbs, watching, the, watching Sports Center, and he hears this this thing, and he goes, what is, is that the dog? Anybody know what that noise is? Oh, it's the outcry. Who's, who's crying? Big babies? And he looks down and goes, oh, it's my people. Man, I'm so, it's good to hear from you guys. I totally forgot you existed. Zahor is to speak and act on behalf of. Which means that this whole time that Israel was going through this, God had his eye on them. They didn't have to be brought back to his mind. They had to wait until he was ready to speak and act on their behalf. None of this took him by surprise. He's watching the whole time. He is near them. He is Emmanuel. He is God with them the whole time. And when they, when they cried out, now's the time to act on your behalf. Let that be a comfort. No matter which side of the political aisle you're on, no, it, forget politics. If you're dealing with COVID or have family that's dealing with COVID or whatever situation is in your life, God has not forgotten He's watching, he's watching, and he's waiting for the time to be right to speak and act on your behalf. Well, why doesn't he do it now? I don't know, I'm not God. I'm just telling you, (laughs) I don't know everything. I'm just giving you little hints and clues, breadcrumbs. Verse three, it says, and Moshe was shepherding the sheep of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He guided the sheep far into the wilderness, and he arrived at the mountain of Hashem towards Horeb. Which direction do you go at a mountain? Up. You ascend. And the angel of, appear, uh, of Hashem appeared to him in the blaze of fire from amid the bush. And behold, he saw him. And the bush was burning in the fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moshe thought, I'll turn aside now and look at this great sight. Why the bush not be burned? And Hashem saw that he turned aside and God, God called out to him from amid the bush, Moshe, Moshe. And he replied, here I am. Which direction does God go in order to get in the bush? Down. Remember we talked about what are temples, what are sacred spaces? Sacred space is a place where humanity is elevated. And God comes down. It's the space between. It's the space between. It's not muddled in the, 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 the toil and the, the, the destruction of the, of the world. 
But it's not complete separation in victory, all spiritual and all heavenly. Sacred sacred space is a place, while it's a place of complete rest and holiness, it is also a a space of tension. I love the scene, uh, who got the colon lips? It was Isaiah, right? Was it Isaiah? Touch me on a man of unclean lips? Is that Isaiah, right? Okay, right, sorry. Isaiah wakes up, not actual in the Holy of, it's it's a vision, right? He wakes up in his vision, and all of a sudden, he's in the Holy of Holies, and he is scared to death. Why is he so scared? Because God's some monster, and because of, you know, the holiness of God, we say that's, that's, well, you know, what does that even mean? No, he's scared to death because he knows he shouldn't be there. He's not qualified to be there. He knows in this vision that he is encroaching on God's holiness. Well, I'll just boldly come into the presence of God whenever I... Okay. That's fine. What What made Isaiah, excuse me, able to stay... What happens when you come into the presence of God and you're not qualified to in the temple? What happens? You die. What happened to Isaiah? God basically killed him in the vision, searing him with the fire. This is all allegory and dream. You understand what I'm saying? It's fine if you want to saunter into the presence of God, however you are, Come just as you are. That's fine. And we should all want to do that, but just be ready to die when you get there. That's the trade-off. You don't go in and get what you want and make out like a bandit. You go in to die so that you can walk out like him. That's the way the whole that's the way it works. But this place, this sacred space, this place of tension where 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 we're not, we're not engaged fully here, but we're not engaged fully there. This, this space, where we're tra- that's where we are today, ladies and gentlemen. We are in this, we are in this place of tension where we have to, to, to lay before God and we have to lay in the word and we have to figure out what does it mean to impact our world for the coming kingdom. Now, I'm not even going to get, get into the violence debate. Because some are so passive, taking Yeshua's words, which he said, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, etc., etc. We know that. So passive, that empire will come in and just, and just kill everybody. And yet some people are so motivated to violence, do zealots, I love you. But put your knife back in the sheath. Right? There's a tension there. And there's a tension in Scripture there. King David was a man of war, and he established the kingdom of Israel. Yeshua, the the anointed one, the Messiah, said, put down your swords, guys, and love your enemies. Excuse me? Now, if you're a believer reading that, that ought to put you in some tension. 
And it's not that the Bible's contradictory, it's forcing you to wrestle with what do we do. And I believe forcing us to wrestle as a community with what do we do? How do we speak? How do we act? How do we engage? Yeshua said the kingdom is within you. Do I believe it comes by violence? I believe when he comes, he'll lead that charge if that's what's necessary. For us today, does it come by violence? I think until he comes and gives the call to arms, we better obey what he said last time so that he doesn't have to save us from, our, from destruction because of our disobedience. Peter walked on water. That was a miraculous thing, but he almost got destroyed in the process because in the way I'm reading it, he didn't just do what Yeshua said. Go, just go, I'm coming. How many times have you told your kids to do something and they get sidetracked, Right? Are you just like, oh, you little miracle? You little miracle. You're so wonderful. I'm so glad that you got me sidetracked from what I was doing, and now we're going to be late. I'm so, what a miracle. No. And I kind of have to believe Yeshua was kind of like, oh, Peter, can you just do what I said for once in your life? Sheesh. Okay, come on. (laughs) Get in the boat. The truth, the, the truth of the matter is, and the big thing that we have to wrestle with is that we who serve the king of kings, the king of creation, have a different role to play in this world than Republican or Democrat. We have a different role to play than conservative or liberal or libertarian or whatever. We have a different role to play than than just casting a vote, while that is our most sacred and precious right. We have more of a role to play than that. The question is where that role intersects with those things. Yeshua said, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I may be taking that out of context because that fits my personality, but I want to go with that. I want to go with that. When he arrives on the scene and says, "Uh, you ammoed up, then I'll be like, let's get it. But until then, I want to be a peacemaker because I, maybe this is the Baptist in me, maybe this is the evangelical, you know, part of me that, that was seared into me as a kid, but I believe that until the final judgment, there is hope for anyone and everyone. I believe that God's mercy and love can stretch through and push through any amount of, of, of issue, darkness, opinion, allegiance. Any of that can break down all those walls and call people to his kingdom. I have to believe that. If I refuse to believe that, what, am we, what are we doing here? What, if, what are we doing here if we don't believe that there is always, until the last moment, an opportunity for anyone to see the light of God and to feel and to experience the salvation of Messiah? So it's not a time to lump everybody together and say, well, Democrats this or Republicans that or whatever. These are people we're talking about. 
be careful. Let, let's be careful and let's be wise about how we handle this situation because I believe with my whole heart that while, while America, you know, Yeshua's not coming as the king of America, but for believers in America, I sincerely believe this is a testing ground and a proving ground and what we will teach our children about how to handle adversity and difference of opinion and, and distress and distraught and all that for whenever he does touch down on the Mount of Olives. When he does come to set up his kingdom. God let us do a better job then than we do now. Let me say this. this I know this was heavy and kind of all over the place, but I... I cannot express how thankful I am for this fellowship. I need people that are patient. I need people that are positive. People that are positive. That God's got this in control and that we, we're going to make it and it's going to be good. And, 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 and we're a part of this restoration plan. We're a part of this restoration plan. Man, that's exciting. We're worried about what to do and what not. We're part of the restoration plan. If it looks like restoration, do that. And it'll work out. Let's work on restoration. Let's have mutual respect. Let's work on restoring. Bringing to Kun Olam. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Salt and life. <laughs>